someone cat calls you on the street says like hey do you like kung pao chicken because i want to kung pao your chicken like can't really say anything to that because you might follow me home we are like three blocks from my house Hey, and welcome to I'm Adopted, Now What? A podcast where we talk about all things race, culture, and identity, one chat at a time. This is for people who want to get real, get deep, and figure out, now what? I'm your host, Liza. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, everybody. I am back with another episode this week. I chat with the two co-hosts of the podcast, Somewhere Between, which is an adoptee-run podcast made by adoptees for adoptees, is sort of their tagline. Uh, And I found them through social media, through the podcasting adoptee community, And I really hit it off with them, so I'm excited to bring you today's episode. It's an episode where we talk, as usual, about a lot of stuff. We cover the Derek Chauvin trial and the outcome of that and how it made us feel, especially in relation to what else is going on in the world right now with social justice and the government. Then I ask both of my guests today to just share their adoption stories and their upbringing, family backgrounds a little bit. Super interesting, different than some of the other backgrounds we've heard on the show, so I'm excited for that. Then we get into talking about re-triggering abandonment and being in situations in your adult life, even your adolescent life, where you are put in a trauma or someone leaves you and it re-triggers the early childhood abandonment trauma that you had as an adoptee. We delve really pretty deep into that subject and so that is what the, the majority, the meat of the episode is about. We talk about not only just abandonment and re-triggering, re-traumatization in general, but how that can connect to the development of self-worth and also how toxicity can play a role and it can rear its ugly head, shall I say, in those moments of abandonment um, uh, distress or abandonment flashbacks. So I hope you find today's episode interesting. I really enjoyed talking with these girls and it's a collaboration. So in a week or two, there will be an episode that drops on their podcast where they got to interview me and we just continue having really good conversation. And I will make sure to get that episode out to you all when it goes live. But for now, let's get into this episode. Hey, everybody. Thanks for coming back to the show. This week, I am sitting with Amy and Alia, who are the co-hosts of the Somewhere Between podcast. Uh, We're doing a little bit of a collab, and I'll let them share all of that info in just a second. Amy is from Connecticut and a site director for a literacy nonprofit. 
Uh, Alia is in New York City right now and is a project manager for an event tech company. And during COVID, to stay sane, they have both been into video games and anime. So I just want to welcome Amy and Alia to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. We're excited. Yeah, just talking with you a little bit beforehand, even discussing our collab together, we were Amy and I were both like, okay, we really want to like hear more about your story and like, you know, just really get to chat. Yeah, it's really, it's awesome to have you on the show. I'm glad we could finally do this. We've rescheduled a couple times. Um, so why don't one of you just kind of go over your podcast real quick, just to give the audience context as to how you're connected to the podcasting slash adoptee world and kind of how we uh, got in touch. Uh, I'll take it, I guess. <laughs> so our podcast is called Somewhere Between. Um, and basically, it's a podcast for Asian adoptees made by Asian adoptees is kind of our tagline. And it's really just a platform to give adoptees a voice, you know, to share their stories and experiences and for others to, you know, listen to these experiences and, you know, hopefully find something they can relate to or something that, you know, they find meaningful and just affects them, you know, in a positive way. Um, and we kind of are open to just a variety of guests. Um, we like to keep it uh, just, you know, sh shaking it up almost of sometimes having a mixture of uh, adoptees from all different Asian countries. So sometimes we've had one from, you know, Vietnam, we'd have someone from Korea, from China, um, you know, just to get those different perspectives and branching out and getting people also who have been adopted to different continents. So now that we have uh, a new host, Ace, it was current before the three of us, me, Alia, Amy, and Maya. And now we have Ace who's based in Europe and we've been getting a lot of more European voices, which is really interesting to hear. That's awesome. I didn't realize that. That's so cool. I'm sure it's a really different uh, perspective and I'm sure that, I mean, there's a lot of common ground, but I'm, I imagine that there are like new things that they bring to the show, which is awesome. Absolutely. I had no idea how different life in Europe was like, you know, of course yeah. we're like, oh, we're all people, but just the culture in general is so different from, you know, North America. Yeah, <laughs> really cool. definitely. Also just um, hearing from different Asian adoptees um, has been really fascinating because personally I'm, uh, was born in China. And so for me, things are very like China centric in my mm -hmm. mind. And then hearing the experiences of, you know, a Korean adoptee in America or a Vietnamese adoptee or a Filipino adoptee, those that aren't really spoken as much about has really like opened my eyes and, um, taught me a lot. Yeah, I can imagine. That's so awesome. Uh, so if you guys are interested in what Amy and Alia are talking about, then definitely head over to their podcast, Somewhere Between, and you can also find them on social media at, I think it's Somewhere Between Podcast? .fam. Yeah, at Somewhere Between .fam. Got it. Okay, cool. And they will also repeat that at the end of the episode in case you missed it. Uh, jumping kind of right into it, I like to start each interview by asking my guests, you know, why you're here. And obviously we just went over that we're doing a collab. And so that's partly right. Why you're here, why we're all here, but more in a personal way, you know, why is talking about adoption important to you and having these conversations meaningful and we can kind of just go popcorn style, whoever wants to go. Amy, you want to take it first? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I guess for me, I actually never really talked about being adopted other than, yeah, I'm adopted, you know, fun fact about me kind of thing. But then the coronavirus and pandemic happened and we were on lockdown and it gave me a lot of time to kind of sit 
with myself, kind of do a lot of reflecting. And I realized how also through, you know, Facebook groups and connecting how much that that impacted, you know, my life. I think over time I've started to realize it, but really during the pandemic, I realized how impactful and how much of my life is in part affected by not only being adopted translationally, but also just being Asian in general. So I really started to sit and explore and realize, you know, how big this community is and how much we can kind of connect on things that I always kind of felt really isolated about emotionally speaking. Um, Mm. And just kind of having that realization, it just made me want to get more and more involved, more connected and just bring the community to a head and really just get our voices out there. Cause I think we're all at that point where like, we never hear from the adoptees. It's always the AP perspective, which is a valid perspective, but also it's not ours. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what brought me to the podcast. And just, I'm really excited to be speaking with you today, Liza. <laughs> awesome. And wait, um, you used like a term in there that I've never heard before. AP. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. What, what awesome. does that mean? What is that? AP um, is short for adoptive parents. Oh, wow. Okay. See, this is how new I am to this whole thing. I didn't (laughs) even know. I didn't even know that. It's crazy. I feel like there needs to be like a little like dictionary just for all the the lingo that I'm trying to pick up over time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Got it. Adoptive parent. That's cool. Okay. Alia. Um, Adoption was always something very prominent in my growing up experience Mm. where from a very young age, my, you know, my parents told me I was adopted because it was very clear. Um, you know, we just, none of us look like each other, even though people Mm -hmm. try to pretend. Um, and I just always felt some kind of sensitivity around it. And I had, you know, kids in my school bully me honestly for it, where they would say Mm -hmm. things like, oh, well, you're just a mistake or, you know, you should be dead and like really mean stuff because kids are just terrible. (laughs) Um, and I never really had anyone to talk to about it. So I kind of played it off. Like, like, as Amy said of like, Hey, fun fact, like, you know, I'm adopted or, you know, those two truths and a lie. I would always like throw in there that, um, no one in my family really is like American born except for my mother, but you know, we're all born in different places or I'd throw in, Oh, like I'm born in China and Mm -hmm. see if anyone would catch it. Mm -hmm. Um, but then like Amy, you know, I, I got started getting involved more in the groups and seeing more posts. And, you know, I saw this opportunity to do a podcast um, based on, you know, a post that Maya actually made. And I was like, you know what, now is like the time. I've talked a little bit about it before on a panel, um, but I wanted to really go in depth and actually start meeting other adoptees and hear their experiences because I've only ever known my own. So mm-hmm. throughout this process, like that's kind of been the main driving factor for me is just getting to talk um, one-on-one with people. Cause I'm a little bit more like socially anxious. Amy is our like social butterfly. She's very <laughs> out there and like, we love it because we love hearing like her stories and like the people she knows. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm kind of more on the sidelines of big zoom calls, very intimidating. Uh, but one-on-ones like I'm good. Nice. That's, that's so funny. I feel like I'm like a mix of both. And for those of you who might be confused, Maya is the third co-host and Maya is not here right now. Um, So just in case you were wondering about that. Awesome. Um, We are, it is the 21st that we're recording this and it is uh, the next day after um, the verdict from the Derek Chauvin trial uh, and he was found guilty on all charges. And I know that, you know, obviously 
George Floyd was not Asian and, um, you know, it wasn't, uh, there wasn't like, it wasn't an Asian person on trial. Um, but because I think both of our podcasts are about going beyond just being, you know, Chinese adoptees or Asian adoptees, as you said, you know, uh, Europe and different continents. So I think it's important and I'd like to talk about it uh, just because it's so recent. How are you both feeling? Were you following the progress of the trial kind of closely? For me, I tried to follow along as much as I could, but I think probably not alone in this, but hearing some of the, the language used by the defense, it was just so you know, traumatizing. And so it made my blood boil. Mm. I just, for my own mental health, I had to just take a step back and not follow so closely. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did watch the verdict when it was announced live. I am happy that he was found guilty. I'm still angry that we're here a year later having to finally be like, yeah, we, we watched this happen. We know he's guilty. And we had to go through all of this just to get that. I'm really scared for the sentencing. I think a lot of people are kind of like, okay, we got the first part, but is he going to like, what's the catch? Because this is America and mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm anxious, but yeah, I just, it's a lot of mixed emotions, but those are the general feelings that I'm having. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I feel the same way. Cause when my boyfriend told me about it, he was like, oh, you know, like that, the policeman from the George, George Floyd like situation, he was like, you know, he just got convicted. And I was like, are you kidding me? What? Really? Like, I was like, I didn't, it took me a second to like really process that was real. Mm-hmm. I was like, are you joking me? Like this, did this actually happen? Mm-hmm. And then when I did, I was like, as like Amy, like that mixed emotion of like, thank God we finally got some form of justice. But you know, like she said, the actual sentencing hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know what this, you know, form of justice may be. And there's also that flip side of, you know, I was seeing it and I was thinking to myself, I was like, so basically to get, you know, a murderer convicted in America, you need to have mountains of evidence, videos, like, like people uh, proof, just, just anything and everything you can even have as evidence as evidence Mm -hmm. and like a global social movement. Yeah. And then you finally get a police convicted. And yeah. this morning I saw a um, email come in from the New York Times because I get like updates from them. Mm-hmm. And they were saying like, you know, it's it's such a rare event. Like, yeah. Um, well, I pulled it up and it says, yeah, the chances of a killing by the police leading to a murder conviction are about one in 2000. Wow. Like when I saw that, like that was ridiculous to me because I knew it was bad, but not number wise. Right. Totally. Even president Biden, like said, you know, it resonated with me when he said this happened 11 months ago and it should not take 11 months to get where we are. So pivoting a little bit from that, I want to give the audience more context in terms of your own adoption stories. Um, Alia mentioned that you know, she's a Chinese adoptee and they, you know, the, the people have heard a lot of my backstory, but not yours. And so what was, what's your adoption story? You know, I I feel like I hate asking that question because I don't really like getting that question as an adoptee, like having to say it over and over. Um, but you know, I'm, I guess I'm asking anyway, (laughs) uh, (laughs) 
yeah, like, what do you know about it? You're both transracial adoptees. What can you share? Uh, Amy, I'll let you go first because I got to quickly plug in my laptop. Yep. Um, so my adoption story is I'm also from China, coincidentally. Um, a lot of female adoptees are, especially around my age, <laughs> um, for obvious reasons. But I was adopted by two white people in America. Uh, they, they adopted me. Uh, they divorced. I'm also not only a transracial adoptee, but a child of divorce, which is always just mm. a, a lot of things in the mix. Mm-hmm. They say that I was found at a police station, but um, I don't know how much the, the general populace knows about the one-child policy and kind of the ripple effects that that had on a lot of adoptees. But what many of us know now is that, realistically speaking, are the idea that like, oh, I was found at a police station. It was a nice, happy little drop-off is most likely a lie. So yeah. um, who knows where I'm actually was from, um, but I was supposedly f- found so fresh after my birth that they can definitively tell me when my birthday is, which is always a fun little thing that they like to throw in. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I grew up in a suburban area right outside Philly. So I was kind of in the, the, the boundaries of like a suburban area and more an urban area. So Mm -hmm. like right in between. Um, And yeah, that's kind of, oh, also my, my dad is Italian, super hardcore. Like we say gravy about pasta sauce Italian. So that's always a really fun part of my upbringing yeah, I didn't me. know that about yeah the pasta sauce thing that's funny. oh yeah it's gravy it's absolute gravy <laughs> so what is gravy then gravy is just like brown gravy or it's like mm. it's like the context you know it's like oh you want mashed potatoes get some gravy oh like you want some like pasta put some gravy on it but like wow. not just any gravy good Italian gravy that's how he says it <laughs> wow that is so funny oh my god I'm gonna have to ask my friend who is Italian about that and like to, to, to know more. That is too funny. Oh yeah. my gosh. Wow. I'm always learning fun facts about you, Amy. <laughs> I'm just a wealth of fun knowledge, I guess. <laughs> so Alia, what is your kind of backstory? Yeah. Um, I always kind of feel like almost a fraud of an adoptee sometimes, yeah. um, joining the adoptee community, yeah. just because I am technically transracial, but not completely. Like okay. I don't have white parents as most people do. Um, I actually have a Chinese mother um, born in America and then a Pakistani father who was born and raised in Pakistan. Wow. Um, they themselves are kind of their own like weird story of how they got together. Right. And- they adopted my brother, who happens to be Pakistani, wow. uh, just out of coincidence. They weren't searching for it. Just someone was like, hey, there's a baby we can't take care of, you know, someone. And then they passed it to my parents. They got him. Then for me, my brother was like, I want a sister. And my mom was like, well, you know, China's one child policy. And, you know, these ba- there's these babies with no home. Like, let's just let's do it. Um, and so then I came along. And like Amy, I have no clue where I'm actually from. Uh, I was uh, supposedly found on the steps of a bank in Mm. Shaoyang, Hunan. But, Mm. um, you know, I did my research into it and I kind of heard a little bit about the child trafficking that was potential. Mm -hmm. And then seeing that documentary, One Child Nation, they also highlighted that and they highlighted especially, um, you know, my region. There was a town next door, like specifically highlighted in the documentary and began with an L. I don't remember the name, but I was like, huh, that just hit in the feels like... I knew it was a possibility, but, you know, just hearing how high the chances are really just like kicked me emotionally. 
wow. that, you know, I could have parents out there who just gave me up for, you know, a good reason. And like those young years where I was so upset about being given up and thought like she hate my birth mother hated me or I meant nothing. And that's why like I was worthless. Um, and then now thinking like they could be searching for me and like devastated. They don't have me or, you know, there's always the flip side of, you know, they just didn't want me. Yeah. But that's wow. definitely been like a weird part of the story. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That I actually, so I mean, I definitely, I mean, you're definitely still like a transracial adoptee in my eyes anyway. Um, but it's interesting that your mom is Chinese and I would imagine that that means maybe people assume you like that you're not adopted. Like, Oh yeah. There's like a weird disconnect (laughs) where I'll be out with my mother and they're like, wow, you look like so much like her. Like, Oh, your eyes are similar. And I'm like, that doesn't even make sense because <laughs> yes, I know adoptees with the almond, like not adoptees, sorry, Asians with the almond eyes and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I actually just, you know, I say I have average eyes. My mom actually has pretty large eyes. <laughs> so sometimes <laughs> they'll think she's like not Chinese. And mm. so they're like, you looked like together. And I'm like, hmm, where'd that come from? Face mm-hmm. shape different. Like everything's so different. Uh, the only thing that matches is like our height. <laughs> yeah. Then I go out with my dad or my brother and they'll think, oh, my dad is like my professor I've gotten asked about. Um, oh. At one time, I, we were stopped at the airport because they thought he was kidnapping me. Like crazy no. stuff. Like they just oh don't process it. And even when we go to like a wedding of a family friend and I'll be dressed in Pakistani clothing, then they look at me and my mom and they're like, what's what's happening here? Oh, my gosh. Mm. Or I'll go out even like even if it's a weird thing, like with my brother and he's eight years older than me. And he's Pakistani, uh, so he and I very clearly don't look alike. Right. And the amount of times that people have asked if we're boyfriend and girlfriend has yeah. been so disturbing. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like its own weird experience of like, you're almost there, guys, but not quite. <laughs> that is wild. Oh, my God. Well, like, I feel like the airport situation was probably more because your dad was Pakistani looking than you being – yeah. Asian looking, which is also racism, uh, <laughs> just to, di- not directed towards you. Um, I mean, it wow. is a little sus because I was like five years old and even a solo parent traveling gets a little questioned. But yeah. you have the letter from my mom, like the whole legal stuff you need. Yeah. Um, but, wow. you know, an older Pakistani man, because my parents are quite older, you know, I'm 23 now. I just turned 23 and they are my father's 73. My mom's 69. So there's that's the weirdness and they're like hmm, something doesn't make sense you guys just came back from Pakistan is this a black market child oh, oh my gosh my god so. wow that's crazy um okay well that's quite an introduction Amy you mentioned that you are your parents are divorced yes and I am wondering if that divorce do you remember like their divorce at all? No, I just remember that like I like for my entire memory that like I was going back and forth between my mom and my dad's house. Right. Um, but I know that it wasn't the greatest divorce. They don't really talk to each other. Mm. Um, but they they do what they need to do to be both of them constant figures in my life, which I am really appreciative of. And if like push comes like I had to go to the hospital um last year, like really sudden and like didn't matter what, like both parents were there, you know, they come to my concerts and everything because I'm a big band geek. So 
it's even though they have their own adult thing going on, they they do their best as possible to make sure that it doesn't affect my life, which I'm really thankful for. Yeah, of course. That's amazing. Um, the reason I bring it up is because I feel like it's a cliche uh, notion in terms of adoption that uh, the child can often feel like abandonment within yeah. the divorce <laughs> process. And I'm wondering for you as an adoptee, was that prevalent for you? Did you feel like you were having almost like a re-triggering of um, what I assume your mind and your body went through when you were a baby and abandoned? Or were you not as conscious of that? I don't think I was super conscious of it um, just because I don't remember the actual like splitting of them. I have no yeah. memories of them ever like being in the same household or anything like okay. that. But I do remember that I had really bad separation anxiety from my mom. Um, so originally I was going to spend like equal time between my parents' house because they literally like moved very close so that mm -hmm. I could visit them whenever, mm -hmm. which was really cool. But um, I couldn't – I had really bad trouble staying overnight at my dad's. Mm. Um, I would cry and cry for my mom constantly. And I mm -hmm. kind of wonder if that was part of the the – like abandonment trauma that I might've suffered, just like being separated from like my mom, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. So to the point where like all the way up to high school, even in college, I didn't stay overnight at my dad's. Sometimes yeah. I would stay super late working on school projects, even 2 a.m., but I would always go home to sleep at my mom's. Mm -hmm. wow. She was kind of like your safety place almost. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. was definitely. I would hide under her dress like all little kids I think do and like that. Oh. <laughs> I was very attached to my mom. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, no, that's just, it's always interesting to me because I, when I um, lost my dad, I feel like I was going through some type of re-triggering of abandonment, but I wasn't aware of it until like years later. Right. Um, and so I was just curious about that because- I think that's one of the more prominent experiences of adoptees and not of non-adoptees is that mm -hmm. like, like the abandonment part. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I always so, wonder when in in life that kind of creeps back in. Right. Yeah. What the points. body remembers, even though the mind might not, you know, <laughs> or totally. Like Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The body definitely absorbs trauma. Yeah. Uh, quite literally. Yeah, I think any form of loss really just kind of kicks that in and adds that extra layer of stress and anxiety and, you know, just mental strain. Mm -hmm. I would like, even if it's something like uh, I found losing a relationship, like a friendship or, mm -hmm. you know, oh, yeah. uh, a partnership, it just hits so much harder than I would hear from my friends. Like losing a friendship, like I still have nightmares about mm. one that happened, ended, sorry, actually like two, three years ago now. And it's, it still pops up in my dreams. And like, I physically feel the the pain and the emotion. And even if you know, it's not healthy, you mm. still don't want to lose it. Yeah. Absolutely. Interesting. Interesting. Why, um, can you explain, can you, can you elaborate more on that? Yeah. So I, for me personally, I had like to, I had a toxic friendship, um, which ended and she kind of like cut me out very much a dramatic person kind but just wrong things happening and um all the like pulling in negativity yeah and then I was um 
in a relationship that was also quite toxic and a bit uh, abusive emotionally. And, you know, through it near the end, like talking with my therapist about this, she said Mm -hmm. to me, oh, you've already accepted like that it's over. And, you know, you've going through the stages of a breakup, Mm -hmm. like a -hmm. year before it actually ended. Mm -hmm. Um, But in my mind, I was like, no, like I refuse to believe that like it was supposed to be like, I can't lose this person in my life. And even as, you know, I learned afterwards about these people that, oh, that was actually emotionally abusive and manipulative. That was gaslighting. Or um, they were actually just trying to like cut you off from everyone and keep you as themselves. And like, this was like a twisted thing to say. Mm-hmm. I'm still like, I get that feeling of like, man, I like, I just, I can't lose anyone else. Like I need people in my life. And like, especially with COVID, I'm feeling so lonely. Yeah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh God, like maybe I should reach out. Maybe I should try and think like things can work. Like it's fine. I can keep them. I don't have to lose even though I know losing is so much healthier and it's what I need. It was like mm. those same feelings I had as a kid when I found out mm. I was adopted and I was like, it's because I'm a bad person or I'm worthless or, you know, mm. people are just tossing me away because I'm just trash and easy to toss away. Like right, right. a lot of, a lot of swirling negativity. Wow. I am, I'm, I asked about that because I think I mean, I think that happens for everybody for all adoptees in some way or another, especially like, when you're younger or in your, you know, twenties and mm-hmm. going through a friendship breakup or an, a romantic breakup for me, I think I like, don't want to admit this, but I, I think that I was on the other end, like in that, in your story, I was like the toxic friend or the, like the toxic boyfriend that needed to exercise that control over other people in order to like cope with the abandonment. Um, But I just didn't know it at the time Um, Mm -hmm. because a lot of that like gaslighting, for example, and like stuff like that is looking back things that my like teenager self would do to my, I guess more like my romantic partners. Um, And I, couldn't have known until later in life but I think that that was you know if towards the end of the relationship when it was ending my way of coping with abandonment feelings and stuff like that was to be like that that toxic controlling person um on the other side of it and so that's that's why I asked because I think it's interesting how it can like it can look different but it Mm. can be from the same source of like pain or, mm-hmm. you know, like the same experience. Yeah. With um, different ways trauma shows. So kind of going off of what you were saying, you know, with those toxic behaviors, like I'm, I'm not perfect. Like it wasn't just him who made mistakes. You know, I made mistakes. I was like a young teen, same thing with my friend. Like I was very impressionable and like definitely could have had those moments where I should have stopped and said like, wait, I'm not doing this. This is not right. Or like, you know, I'm uncomfortable and staying for my boundaries. But I think that's also kind of the flip side too. Like we also have these toxic stuff ourselves, And it's that feeling of, you know, control to like, now that you're old enough or you have more control in your life, like I need to be able to hold on to these people and do Mm -hmm. what I can. Like, even if it means sometimes not being the best person, because I, I know I definitely did that as a kid, like, especially the past few months, I've been looking back at my childhood and I'm like, wow, that's why they aren't friends with me anymore. Because I Mm -hmm. just tried to suffocate people and like really hold them close Mm -hmm. of like, don't leave me. Like we're best friends forever. That's what said. And, you know, 
I feel like it's also hurt by media too, because media is like, Hey, you're going to find your like life partner. You're going to stay with them forever. Like it's going to be the first person you meet or, Mm -hmm. you know, those friends you made in elementary school, high school, like you're gonna be friends for life. Like sisterhood of the traveling pants and you're going to (laughs) go everywhere together and live (laughs) and die. And (laughs) just like you guys are lock and key, always have that girl group. And reality just isn't that. Yeah. So many people ebb and flow out of our lives and it's normal and natural and healthy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like the coming and going of different people in different, at different ages, in different chapters of everybody's lives, like is so normal. But I think because of like our early childhood experiences as adoptees, Mm -hmm. it becomes like this fixation like whether or not you're on the side of like uh, needing to be in control and need, like like exercising it in toxic ways or if you're the recipient of that toxicity, like both sides, it's just like this weird fascination almost with it. And I think I feel like that definitely is related to the fact that we are like put in the world, like having all of those like what would be normal constructs like disrupted like mm-hmm. right from the get-go how are you both feeling in terms of being vaccinated and have any has anyone like has anyone okay i guess i should ask in the reverse order of what i was going to ask in covid have you experienced anyone like yelling China virus at you or anything like that because that happened to me for the first time I think it was two weeks ago and it's an it was an interesting experience and I think I'm still processing it in some ways um but because it was like I've talked to people who have had that happen to them all of COVID, right? Like it's nothing new. But then for mm-hmm. me, that was like the first time. And so I'm wondering kind of how that has been for you and what is your reaction, I guess, when it does happen, if it happens. For me, I haven't had any really confrontational things happen. They're more like I go out in public and I can feel people like literally avoiding me. Mm. Um, and I went out with my roommate to get groceries who was white. Um, and I went after we got back, I went like, was it just me? Or like, like that, that wasn't just me overreacting or being sensitive. Like that, those men were like running away from me. Right. She's mm. like, no, like that was very obvious that mm-hmm. they had a problem with you. One of them once like they dropped their paper cups and I picked it up and handed it to them. And he's like, I don't want them anymore. Wow. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) He was like crowding into the next person just to like maintain distance from me and like things like that. So it was never anything like aggressive in the the typical sense or never anything physical, which, you know, I am worried about, but thankfully hasn't happened to me, but it was like those incidences. Um, I definitely cried like a lot whenever we get home. Um, I felt really like, I felt like I had come so far in my my journey of you know understanding my identities and being proud of who I was but it felt like I was reverting back to when I was ashamed Mm. of being Asian or different so Mm. that was like think really that's where it really like touched a nerve for me Mm -hmm. um and now that I've kind of made it through I definitely still feel very hurt and stuff but I also feel like 
mad, like there's a fire in me now. Mm-hmm. And I think that mm-hmm. it's because a lot of the Asian community and the Asian adoptee community is like kind of banding together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also like really terrified. So it's just a lot of those things. Like mm-hmm. every time I go out, I'm just really aware that like something could happen to me mm-hmm. um, because I'm in it. Like New Haven is very like there's a lot of Asian people um but the surrounding areas not necessarily so I'm mm-hmm. just especially after Atlanta every time I go to like the Asian superstore right. I'm like oh god is like something gonna happen right wow yeah I actually didn't think about that too of like I haven't been to um main Asian places in forever because COVID New York mm-hmm. City can't really travel but I definitely can see what you mean of like you know just even having that fear of going to our own gathering places, as you'd say, yeah. is now like they've taken that from us too. Like that before was like a safe space of like, oh, like it's just a bunch of Asians here. Like, or anyone who's not Asian isn't really going to call me racist names or, you know, be afraid of me. Like they're mm-hmm. here for a reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now then also to have that taken is like another layer of it. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that either. Hmm. Wow. But yeah, I, I feel you with like the not, straight aggressive um methods like it's almost like we're lepers and this mm-hmm. is like a leprosy outbreak mm-hmm. but it's not at all and we are not the causes um because I remember at the beginning when I was still traveling to work and before it was like full lockdown like when COVID had come out of like hey this is happening and it's like mm-hmm. you know, came from Wuhan China um people on the subway during like crowded rush hour in New York City mm-hmm. would try and stay away from me and I kind of took it as like yeah you better like you know what give me my space if you're gonna be afraid you're gonna be a coward stay away from me I don't want (laughs) to breathe like I was I've even now I'm still very much like an aggressive person like I have anger about it Mm -hmm. um, just because I grew up with you know being bullied for that so now I'm like yeah take it so like it's kind of a weird thing of like, it's caused me to sometimes sit at night of like, oh, you know, like what if this happened and like mentally prep a comeback or like a response, which is something that's just very weird. It's like a fight with the world almost. Mm. Um, or then, you know, on the flip side, like some, like having that fear of maybe I just don't want to go out alone because I live in like a not the greatest neighborhood and then mm-hmm. COVID and prior to COVID, like I already had some racism in my neighborhood, but now who knows? Yeah. So just like that hesitancy and like, as Amy said, kind of like a, a, just a general fear. So it's like that fear, that anger and God knows what else other emotions that I'm choosing to ignore. Yeah. Um, I, now that you said that, actually, I wanted to ask you a question about like be experiencing bullying, if that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. How did I would say that I was not bullied really ever? Um, very fortunately, I didn't really experience that. Um, so having you having experienced that, I'm wondering like, how do you how did you overcome that? Um, and like, was it specifically for being Asian, or was it because? of your Asian-ness mixed with like this white <laughs> culture-y vibe, um, do you think? Actually, it was kind of a mixture of both. And, mm. you know, you saying like 
the caused by like the mix of Asian and white culture. I never really actually thought of that as being part of the bullying, but it kind of was mm. because I was always treated as different and mm-hmm. not necessarily because I was Asian in those cases, but because of my father being Pakistani and the religion and the different stuff I had to do or stuff mm. I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. So it'd be something simple as like, you know, schools have pajama day and I was not allowed to wear pajamas. That just mm-hmm. wasn't allowed. Um, couldn't expose myself like that. Like just the cultural norms yeah. were not a thing in my family. And I had gotten essentially like part of my language shit on for it. <laughs> mm. um, and then on the flip side, you know, I had the very overt racism for being Asian. I got mm-hmm. the slanted eyes thing that people would mimic. I've gotten this typical like chink, ching chong, or mm-hmm. even on the bus here in New York City coming back from classes. Um, someone, someone, some like black guy looked me in the eye with his group of friends and just said, and then was like, what, you don't understand? Oh, man. And I was just, I just like, I had my music in and I was just angry, like stared ahead, didn't even acknowledge his existence. And that's kind of been my take on most of it is like, you know, there have been times where I fought back and I've had my comebacks, but then there's also times where I am afraid of my safety. And it's, it was like a group of people on a bus and I'm like, I'm one small five foot two, you know, Chinese little girl. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, 19 at the time so mm, yeah. it was there's definitely been those times where I'm like I kick myself for not fighting back and allowing that to happen but at the same times so I'm also like sometimes you just have to take it for your safety yeah and that's like the saddest part about mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. wow wow do and and that's like so knowing or like kind of making a judgment call in terms of whether this is the moment to like let your anger come through and stand up for yourself versus it's not worth it. I'm on like my stop, my bus stop is like one stop away. Like I'll just wait and then get off the bus. Um, At the time, like that was how you managed and overcame being bullied. Yeah. It was just like, I just got to make this quick decision. Like, is it hmm. worth this anger and what could ensue? Hmm. Like in high school, I was like, okay, there's teachers around. If I get into a fight, like we're fine. I've gotten yeah. actually away with fights before for someone being racist to me. Right. And then I beat them up and then they got in trouble because I sold it the right way. <laughs> um, but in real life, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really work like that. Someone cat calls you on the street, says yeah. like, hey, do you like Kung Pao chicken? Because I want to Kung Pao your chicken like can't really say anything to that because you might follow me home we are like three blocks from my house I'm just gonna ignore and maybe run into a store so you leave me alone yeah Mm. wow and I think like also as like female adoptees female females period I think Mm -hmm. that that is something that we are unfortunately sort of used to dealing with um I definitely like I mean, that's just a whole different conversation. Um, but wow. Amy, how was your experience like in grade school when you were a little younger similar or not really? Like were you singled um, out for being Asian and adopted and having like white parents and stuff or not really? Yes and no. I was always really like open about being adopted. And I, I mean, with uh, a name like mine um, being French, English, and Italian, and me mm. being Chinese, there was no hiding any of that. Mm-hmm. I was just like, yeah, I'm adopted. Like, what about it? Like, it's just a, mm. a thing that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Had that mentality to it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I got lumped. I think a lot of the racism that I faced as a kid growing up wasn't so overt. It was a lot of like, like, oh, you and the uh, one other Asian kid in the class, you guys are going to date. It was like stuff like that. Or uh making jokes Mm -hmm. at our expense. But I tend, Mm -hmm. but I didn't like, I just let it like go over my head. I pretend I just didn't understand what it meant. Mm. Um, It was kind of a lot of that. I was very like, I was really shy and anxious as a kid. So I didn't want to like get into those things. Mm -hmm. Um, I just kind of pretended I didn't understand any of it a lot of the time. And then as I got older and I did understand them, I kind of, I think- in part of an effort to to blend in and fit in and, you know, take the jokes, I would just kind of roll with it. I would like lean into them almost. Yeah. And I became mm-hmm. the biggest punchline because yeah. if I make the joke before them, then they can't hurt me. It was kind yeah. of that mentality. Yeah. And yeah. then looking back at like all the things that I let people like my quote unquote friends say to me, I'm like, why did I do that? Like they would, they would like, add R's for L's. Right. And they just call me oh. Asian and they'd be like, I'll shad. Asian outside and like stuff like that and it's just like why did I why did I put up with that why did I laugh because like I knew it bothered me but I just never wanted to be the 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 girl who couldn't take a joke with especially I had a lot of guy friends just because I play video games and I'm you know that was always like kind of my personality but I didn't want to be the the girl in the friend group who couldn't take the jokes so that was just kind of the mentality I had until, wow. you know, college when I finally did start to stop. And then people started to get annoyed with me that I couldn't take the jokes, which was always the biggest fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some days I would just, you know, I, w- I would go on. And then some days I would just like, all of a sudden it would be like, like, I remember one time in particular, I knocked a cup off of my desk and I just started sobbing. And like my my sweet mates came in and they're like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I broke my cup. And they're like, oh, we can glue it. And they're like, also, everyone hates me because I'm Asian. And they're just like, well, we can get the super glue. I don't. And like, (laughs) it was just like random things like that. And that was kind of my experience with racism. Like, it was a weird evolution, like growing through. I never, no, I'm always a very shy and anxious person. I could make comebacks when it came to anything else, but like my race. It just... Mm. Mm-hmm. No, it was a weird, it was a weird, like, I don't want to identify with that part of me, but also I'm just going to like laugh at it too. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely did that, like where you laugh at it, like along with everybody else. Um, mm-hmm. But I think like we have three relatively different, like upbringing school situations because mm-hmm. I don't think I was really ever like if as, as you said, Amy, like I was the first one to like call myself a banana or whatever, Mm -hmm. but, and when it came to that kind of stuff, like, yeah, I kind of, I like was with it along with everybody else. But what I experienced a lot in grade school was I wouldn't necessarily say at the time I thought it was like be like mean spirited or anything, Um, Mm -hmm. It was probably looking back just more ignorant, but I got a lot of like, oh, well, don't you want to know your real parents or why didn't your real parents want to keep you? Or is it weird for you that like your parents are white? Like that, those kinds of questions I got all the time uh, in grade school, like growing up. And my answer like was always 
know my parents are my parents and like, how do you feel about your parents? Okay, great. That's exactly how I feel about mine. I'm glad we've established that. Um, and I think that was partly because I knew that they were just uninformed and couldn't relate, but also I was reluctant to talk about it. So it was kind of me trying to like brush it off in Mm -hmm. one swoop. Um, but I think that that's like so interesting to me that we have three relatively different like upbringing stories, Mm -hmm. at least in terms of how we were treated in school. Uh, because I don't know, it just, it, it ceases to amaze me that like we're all adopted and we have that in common, but how that impacts our lives is just so different. And yeah, yeah. I know that and every time I have one of these interviews, I just am surprised all over again at like how different like they can be. Yeah. It's almost like the infinite possibilities of adoption. Like let's, yeah. let's roll the dice and see how it hits you. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Absolutely. Um, that's so crazy. And actually that's a good segue into my last question, um, which is given that we just talked about like growing up and everything and like, you know, our childhoods and all of that. Um, if you could like talk to those girls like in school at that age and younger like and you know what would you tell them in terms of like growing up and identity and you know the idea of like finding yourself um what would you what would each of you like tell those younger those younger girls your younger selves like I need to think too like yeah no worries I think I kind of have an idea um For me, a lot of my experience was very uh, emotional. And I think what I would say to myself is that, you know, your emotions are okay and they're normal to have. Like people may tell you you're overreacting or, oh, why should you feel this way? Like your life is so good. Like you could have been dead in China. Like, why are you upset about being adopted or why does this get to you? Mm -hmm. And it's completely okay to feel a certain way or to, you know, experience your trauma and get through it how you need to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being adopted doesn't amount your worth. You're not worthless. You weren't thrown away. You're not just a commodity to people. You are still a person. And, you know, for my experience, I thought I was, you know, weak because all these things, like these emotions affecting me, like I should be stronger. I should be happier. And I also learned over time, like even still learning that as cliche as it is to say, like I am much stronger than I think I am and have Mm -hmm. gotten through so much that I never thought I would get through. Like Mm -hmm. I, you know, 10 years ago, wouldn't actually even believe that I'm alive today. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's definitely like what I'd say to myself of like, you know, it's cliche, you're going to hear it, but you are stronger. You're going to get through it. Somehow you'll make it to 23. You will find someone who you actually want to live your life with and you'll grow to become proud of this weird experience you have and Mm -hmm. kind of make it your own story and Mm -hmm. the fun way to share it as like either if it's a fun fact or, you know, just letting people get to know you better and come closer to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's so spot on. Like it, especially when you're a kid, knowing that your feelings and emotions are validated is so, Mm -hmm. it's like the key to, to a healthy emotional development, like as you grow. Um, And so I think that is very important. That was really good. Oh my gosh. Oh, my emotions. <laughs> right in the feels. Right? 
Alia always gets me right in the feels. I tell you, <laughs> it's okay because I'm the reverse side where I'm a very emotional person, and I'll be like, I'm dark in my hole, and like, don't talk to me. I'm depressed. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I can tap into it. <laughs> it's always it always gets me. I think that I would tell myself that a lot of people are going to come and go in different forms your entire life and it doesn't have any reflect on your value as a person um because mm-hmm. I think that's what I definitely struggled with kind of like what we talked about earlier um just because people aren't the right fit for you doesn't mean that you're a bad person it doesn't always mean that they're a bad person it just sometimes means that you guys just weren't meant to to have that relationship extend past where it is. And that's okay. It doesn't mean anything negative always. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I think that also I would want to tell myself, you know, you don't have to laugh it off because there are going to be people that you're going to meet that are going to stand up for you and you won't have to pretend that it's okay. You're going to meet people who are going to see and feel the way that you do that it's the things that people say to you or the things that people joke about with you aren't actually jokes and they're just hurtful mm-hmm. and even you're gonna the more you stand up for those and those things that you feel the more you're gonna find people quicker that feel the same way you do and you're gonna feel more protected in love than you probably ever felt before yeah. I think that's awesome. Oh yeah. Like, especially because, you know, I feel, I mean, your target audience for your podcast might be different, but overall, I feel like all of the work that all of the adoptee podcasters are putting into their projects, or maybe it's not even a podcast, but like whatever it is, is ultimately going to be like the tools for the like the coming generations Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that is so important, especially targeting those generate those future generations when they're younger, because the social pressures when you are younger are so intense and like so strong to like fit in or to laugh or like even when something's not funny or at your own expense. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's possible to, to know until you've experienced it, the the thought of like, I don't have to put up with these people. Like you don't, you don't understand that until you find people who don't put you in those situations. Um, And so I think like that's super important because when you're in that age, everything is changing. You're developing your, like, that's like the foundation for who you're going to become in the future, or at least like through high school, through college, and then you'll have like a quarter life crisis and it'll start all over again or <laughs> yeah. something. Uh, but the pressure, the social pressure is so high. And so I think that that's a really good piece of advice in terms of like knowing that future generations will listen to this um, because like you're cool just the way you are and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Yeah. I really so. like what Amy said too, because, you know, as you just said, Liza, 
with the coming generation, they have more access to social media and they can yeah. find these social groups, you know, such as subtle Asian adoptee traits that, yep. you know, we're always saying on our podcast because yep. it's done so much for us. Like we never had a community. Yeah. Um, when you grow up in your hometown and you're kind of isolated from other adoptees, you're isolated from even Asians, mm-hmm. you kind of have to accept that these people around you are the best you're going to get. And, yeah. you know, it's difficult to fight back or stand up for yourself because then it's like, well, am I going to be alone now? Yeah. But now that, you know, we have these backbone support groups, it's like, okay, like I feel empowered almost to stand up for what I feel and like, you know, put my foot down of like, you're crossing a boundary. And yeah. I know it's not me. It's actually you because there's a bunch of other people who will support me and stand right by me and encourage me. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. That's a great point as well. Like um, they'll have so much more access to this, like all of this material that we're putting out there. Um, So I love those pieces of advice. I think those are spot on. And I mean, especially in COVID, I feel like a lot of us are, whether we like it or not, kind of being thrown back to like those kinds of, I don't know, like foundational, pivotal, like stretches of time in our lives. Like I feel like during COVID, Mm -hmm. everyone has been more reflective than normal. And so a lot of people are thinking about, oh, like when I was younger, this and this influenced me. And this is why I do that thing that I do like in adulthood and stuff. And so I think it couldn't be more topical. Um, And I want to thank you both so much for being here and coming on the show and being willing to collaborate with me. Um, I really appreciate both of your time and willingness to be so vulnerable and candid with me. It was so great. And I can't wait to reconnect again for your show. So why don't you one more time, just kind of remind the audience where they can find you and what your handles are so that when our next episode together goes live on your channel, uh, they know how to find it. Yeah. Thank you again for having us too. We're it's always a pleasure talking with you. I feel like the last time we talked, we just kept going and this was the same. Yeah. It was so easy to just open up with you. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, you can catch Somewhere Between on all the places you find podcasts and you can follow us on Instagram at somewherebetween.fam. We put out updates, casting calls, episodes, a whole bunch of cool stuff on there. Awesome. Yeah. And if you're interested in, you know, participating in one of our episodes, feel free to reach out either through our Instagram or um, our email, uh, which is somewhere.between.podcast at gmail.com. You know, as we've kind of described and like, as I continue to learn from people, like, especially even on this, you know, chat, like Amy and I have been, you know, podcasting together for almost a year now, but I'm still learning about her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd love to, we'd love to learn from other people and hear your stories. So feel free to reach out. Definitely. For all of you, thank you so much for tuning in this week. And I hope that you'll definitely head over to Somewhere Between, give them some love. Make sure that you, if you liked our conversation, then make sure to tune in when the reverse collaboration does go live. I will be sure to put all of that info so you can find it somewhere, either on Instagram or in stories. I'll I'll find a way to get that information to you. And I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'm Adopted, Now What? Hosted by me, Liza. If you liked what you heard, then please be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Leave a good review 
and share this episode with a friend. If there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on a later episode, DM me and tell me all about it. You can do that and find this podcast on Instagram and Facebook at imadopted.podcast. See you there. Thank you.